We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And over the weekend, we got some interesting rumors. Uh, Obviously, can't talk too specifically about them, but Lakers being tied to a couple of stars out there, uh, potentially in in trade. And so today we're going to talk about the, the Lakers have been pursuing this idea of three stars for quite some time. There was the attempt to get Kawhi a few years back, and then that didn't work out. And we just so happened to plan B ourselves into a title. Well, Pete, before Kawhi, it was like, oh, well, let's get Paul George. For sure. Right. And then like the Lakers always, always, always are looking at a star at another star player. Sorry to cut you off, but even go back to like when they were trying to build a championship team under Phil Jackson for that first team. And it was like, okay, well, we have Eddie Jones. He's an he's a star. He played in an all-star game, but he doesn't necessarily fit next to Kobe Bryant. He doesn't necessarily have the guard skills to play in Phil Jackson's triangle offense or whatever. Whoever didn't like him didn't like him enough. And so they're like, okay, well, we're not trading Eddie Jones for spare parts. Like, let's go get Glenn Rice. That's right. Who who was a perennial all-star at the time. Who was his own star with the Heat and with the Hornets after that and made several all-star teams and was that sort of caliber of dude. He wasn't on Kobe and Shaq's like superstar level player, but he was a star dude. And so this is an idea that goes back well before that to like the idea of Gail Goodridge and Bob McAdoo and Jamal Wilkes and all of these dudes who had name brand value. And so this is the history of the Lakers here. When I was watching the 1987 tape recently, like James Worthy is, I think, in our memories, kind of codified as the number three guy behind Magic and Kareem. But watching him, just watching him individually, he was easily like the second best player, third best player on the floor against the Celtics, right? Against great Celtics teams with Mikhail and Bird and Parrish and all that. Like the only two guys he was behind were Magic and Bird. And it spoke to, I think, that idea that, yeah, we've always gone after 
that third star. And we certainly did last season as well, right? Yes. And it didn't work out the way that, that we've wanted it to. And Russ would have to be the central piece in any acquisition of any, uh, of any other star player just by a function of salary. But even that, I like, one thing that I don't think people always understand is that these types of trades, the idea of a equivalent value is only a small part of it, like a much smaller part of it than you would think. And so you look at some proposed trades and, and it's like, oh, that seems really out of whack in terms of how good this player is versus that player versus the picks being given up and, and whatnot. But that's not really what drives things in the modern NBA quite as much. It matters. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that it... What do you think of like the Russ's contract as a trade piece? It's big. It's what forty-seven million dollar yeah. contract. Expiring contracts do have value. I think there's probably an argument to be made that that's too much expiring salary in one player. It's hard to make that type of deal. But just kind of, what do you see the the feasibility of of what it means to have that that kind of trade piece? It is a massive massive sort of like get out of jail free card if that's how you want to view it for a team that is carrying a boatload of salary to begin with look at the last deal that russell westbrook was involved with not the lakers not the last one because that's the one that got him to the lakers the one before that which was the trade that sent him to the wizards that was he got traded for john wall that was a my problem for your problem deal and the framework of that sort of framework is almost always been there for the NBA. Like we don't often even you could even frame the Ben Simmons for James Harden trade through that same lens if you wanted to be a glass half empty sort of person, right? Like, oh, Ben Simmons, he's hurt. He said he's not going to play for us ever again. He's someone who is clearly fallen out of favor with the fan base. Like he's our problem. And James Harden is just like, ah, oh, yeah, looking a little bit hefty these days. And maybe I'm not as interested in playing hard on a night to night basis and potentially going to be a free agent. And is he going to stay? Is he not? And that's my problem now. And so it's like, OK, well, here, Daryl Morey, you love this guy. He was your dude. And Ben Simmons is a nice sort of third dude to mix with. Kyrie and KD. And those ideas are so that framework is always there. To me, it's very rare that you actually get the like, hey, we love our star. <laughs> right. Right. We wouldn't be trading them in the first place. Right? If, and, yeah. and so your star, I know you love your star, but my star actually fits better on your team. And your star fits better on my team. Hey, like the happy handshake deal where everyone is doesn't co- happen. No, that doesn't happen. And so the nature of massive NBA trades are almost always going to be viewed through the lens of one dude or both dudes want out. And how do you get something in return that is going to be helpful for you, right? Whether it's clearing salary off the books, maybe it's future prospects and through via draft picks, maybe it's current prospects who haven't quite developed into the types of players that, that you wanted them to be. That's like the framework of the Anthony Davis trade that the Lakers made. There's all kinds of deals out there. So when I look at Russ, I'm like, okay, that is a lot of money. And it probably is too much money to be wrapped up in a single guy. And that's why you may end up finding a deal where it's like, okay, well, we've got a big salary that maybe doesn't want to stay here anymore or has his own 
negative views within the context of of our own team. But we've also got another middling salary that, hey, maybe we overpaid a guy. And we can get out of that. And we can get out of that. And that's like the framework of the Porzingis deal, for example. Yeah. Right. And so they traded him for Spencer Dinwiddie, who was a recent signee who, by all reports, wasn't necessarily fitting in as well mm-hmm. with the Wizards as everyone thought that he might when he signed as a free agent. And he's a brand new guy. And then they had Bertans, who mm-hmm. they had kept clearly overpaid. And now he's looking like dead money on your books after you've now traded for Kyle Kuzma and drafted Danny Advia and you have Rui Hachimura. And it's just like, okay, well, where's this dude going to play? But he makes damn near $20 million. Let's package. That's a, okay, our quote unquote offseason star that we signed in Dinwiddie not working out and the overpaid dude. And we combine both of that and send them out for one massive salary that's in Porzingis. So that may end up being the type of framework that you see in any potential Russell Westbrook trade as well, because it is too much money. It's too much money to be like, there are no more John Wall contracts out there to be like, okay, well, here's another dude who makes $45 million who is not wanted by his own team, right? And and so how much value that has to other teams, I'm not sure. We talked about it before, like a get out of jail free card for massive salary, my problem for your problem, the Beauty in Russ as that sort of grease on the wheel to like get things rolling. That's gonna that beauty is gonna lie in the eye of the beholder, the team that wants to trade for him. And I tweeted this out yesterday, but we are at such an information deficit as yeah. fans. And we think we're informed because Woj or Shams or Chris Haynes give us a sprinkling of information, Mark Stein, right? They give us a sprinkling of of information and we feel informed, but we know so little about the decision-making that is go and the conversations that are being had within these organizations about what they're actually prioritizing, what they actually want to accomplish in a one-year plan, a three-year plan, a five-year plan, and how all of this comes together. And so I'd love to kick it back to you here just to sort of try to bridge the gap a little bit, because I think there are so many variables that we often do not consider and do not understand that will matter a bunch, not only from the Lakers' perspective, but from the perspective of potential suitors in or partners in a trade. And I think that the party within that, that perhaps, at least in certain circumstances, has more power than either is the player. One of the the curious elements, I think, about the way that contracts are now is you've got these deadlines right before July 1st where a player can be like, all right, well, I want to go to this team, but they don't have the cap space and I'm not technically free. If I were to opt out, I wouldn't be able to go there because they don't have that cap space. But you could help facilitate a deal to that team and get a little bit back or else you could lose me for nothing, right? And so there's a certain degree of leverage that star players in particular have that there's a reason why these guys, whenever they get disgruntled, they always seem to end up at the spot that they wanted to end up at, right? Like it's uh, that their short list of teams. It's it's quite uh, remarkable how often they end up at one of those places. So what a coincidence! Right? What a coincidence! Yes. Yeah, so let's take a quick break and come back, talk more about that, and then the Lakers' approach within that paradigm. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So that's not to say that one of the star players that have come up to be rumored and associated with the Lakers are going to be like, trade me to the Lakers or else I'm going to be a free agent and, and walk. We don't know that. That's part of the information gap. But it is one of the things that makes this sort of thing more plausible. And it's one of the reasons why it's become a player's league. And the whole idea of player empowerment is something that I, I think is going to be a, a big topic of the next collective bargaining negotiations. From the Lakers' perspective, though, what route should we take? Right? You've got that star route. We tried, we finally got to the three star build last year. It was a disaster for a multitude of reasons that I think go even beyond the third star and even the nature of his game. Um, but when we look at the the finals and these playoffs and and team builds around, there's a good argument to be made that it's better to have two stars. And then we were talking before the pod about how those teams that play at the really high levels of basketball, including our title team, have like several 10 million-ish caliber guys in their rotation. And by virtue of building out a three-star build, especially where we are not having a ton of young guys, maybe Austin can become something or Stanley can be it can become something in a role, but we're not going to have a lot of those mid-tier type of guys. THT, none. And now that I think of it, there's more like, hey, if two of these guys hit this year, that would be extremely helpful within a three-star build. But where do you stand on that? Like, Because you can have that top-heavy type of build, but it's vulnerable to injury, like we saw this year. And there are going to be parts in the playoffs where the seventh dude in your rotation, the sixth dude in your rotation, just isn't as good as the other high-level team that you're playing. And that's going to matter. So where, where do you kind of build on where how we should approach it? Well, Boston just saw that, right? And so, mm. like, one of the things that I thought was funny was the idea of, of like, the checkbook win and Joe Lacob and, like, the Warriors. But, like, Andrew Wiggins, he's on a max contract. So, at one point, he was viewed as a guy who is a franchise cornerstone, right? And so, the Warriors, to me, are a perfect example of what happens when you can get multiple stars, right? Stephen Clay. Clay is an interesting case. Draymond is a star in his own way. 
and then Andrew Wiggins, and then still have other guys who in their careers have also been those $10 million players, right? Like Otto Porter was that dude just a season and a half ago, Mm -hmm. right? He was on one of those massive contracts too. And so I think we've looked back at the Russ trade and reflexively have said to ourselves, or at least I know that I've done this, is it would be nice to get some depth, right? $47 million is a lot of, it's a lot of money. It's hard to wrap that much money up into a single player who is not a LeBron James or Anthony Davis level player and feel like you're actually getting your money's worth. Steph Curry, $47 million, let's pay him twice that, right? <laughs> right. And we saw that with like Kobe Bryant and Shaq. When they were at their peaks, the ultimate star level dudes, they're worth two, three times that much in the revenue that they bring to your team and just the advantages that they give you in a five on five sport where all five of those players have to play on both sides of the court. But then taking that buddy and saying, "Okay, well, let's divide it amongst three guys like that sounds nice. It does. But then how many of those guys are actually going to play up to their contract? Well, that's the thing is if it's not like, oh, that's let's say split it 16 million uh, three ways. Right. And so let's get three 16 million dollar caliber players. Great. But if they were 16 million dollar caliber players on 16 million dollar contracts, why is the other team that's trying to build something of their own trading them for Russell Westbrook? Right. What you're going to get is the guy on the twenty five million dollar contract. That's a twelve million dollar caliber player. Right. And maybe you get two of those instead of three of the 16 million type of guys. And then it's probably going to be fairly difficult for us to move that down the line, depending on how many years that they have left. So yeah, where are you at with those like kind of bad contract guys? Cause those are the guys that, that I think would theoretically like make some sense in the right framework for other teams is guys like the Bertans Porzingis trade, where it's like, everybody's a little bit overpaid in this equation. Well, this goes back to the history of the Lakers. And this is where what they've traditionally done informs the Lakers aren't in the business of overpaying someone else's dudes. Now, <laughs> yeah, they're not. Yeah. When was the last time that you remember them being Luol Deng, Moskov? Those were the depths of hell for Lakers fans. Yeah, man, that was a rough time. And so the Lakers and look, I'm not in meetings with Rob Palinka and Kurt Rambis or anything like that, but I would imagine they fashion themselves as the dudes who are going to get players who are worth $6 million to come and play for $3 million. Yeah. They think they're going to get the $16 million dues to come and play for $8 million. <laughs> right. Come sign for the MLE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. those are the opportunities that exist in Los Angeles. And so this, is, this goes back to the idea of stargazing in the first place and why you want a star. Because the stars are the ones who are actually worth that money. And this is where you have to wonder if they feel burned by what has happened and what developed with Russell Westbrook and why potentially there may be internal conversations within the Lakers like, hmm, well, maybe we give this Russ thing like a reboot. Maybe we try it again with him and run it back because he could be worth what he's being paid under different circumstances and under different scenarios. I don't know if I agree with that, that there's a $47 million version no, of Russ sure. on this team. But I do think that there is a line of trading him. Like if we trade him for depth and two other players, like that's conceptual. I want to know who those players are. And seeing some of the quote unquote bad contracts, I'm like, 
that dude ain't getting beyond the second round in terms of being like a helpful player in your rotation. So there's a certain amount, uh, there's a certain place where it's like, even if it doesn't work out with Russ, you can the the clean slate the following summer is more attractive than trading for guys who've got two or three years left on their deal who aren't going to really be all that helpful deep into the playoffs anyway. Yeah. And this is where I always say, like, thank goodness I'm not a general manager. Thank goodness I actually don't run yeah. an NBA team. Right. Likewise. Because <laughs> we yeah. all like to do it. In the trade machine, I just sent you a screenshot of a massive trade yesterday. I was just like, hey, look what I, like, look what look I, what did, I did. Right? I'm like, like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Like, I made yeah, yeah. fire, right? Like, like yes. look at this thing. <laughs> it was a good trade. It was, it was well done. But those are fake. You don't have to live with any of the repercussions. I, I send a text message to you or I drop it to Harrison and be like, ah, look what I did. It's funny, right? Yeah. And then everyone can say like, oh, yeah, that's great. I see that from everyone's perspective. And then it's just like, yeah, but there are so many things that we don't know. And so we're back to stage one again. And the Lakers do need to choose a direction. They do need to understand what they want to accomplish. And then they need to plan accordingly. Right. And if the idea is to trade Russell Westbrook, then the uh, then. Based off of the recent rumors, they are still big game hunting and Mm. that is the Lakers way. Yes. And whether or not people think it's the right way or the wrong way, there's always an angle to view anything as like the right way. There's also a right way to do your idea and a wrong way to do your idea. You could have a great idea, but if your execution, like if we were to trade for one of those guys and then sign a bunch of guys who can't play defense for the MLE and the vet minimums, and then we're wondering months later, like, why is our defense bad and why is our record so much worse than we expected it to be that don't always have everything, something to do with who that third star is. So there's a way to execute this and there's a way not to. That's right. You know what? So let's go to break here because- When we come out on the other side, I do want to talk a little bit more about whether or not there's an idea that can be in the middle somewhere or or if the Lakers need to choose these totally divergent paths. At least that's how they're being framed up front. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So actually, Pete, let me ask you a question first. You mentioned before about like player empowerment and the power of the player and deadlines. Russell Westbrook is facing a deadline. Everyone, I think, is assuming that he's just going to opt into his contract. Do you have any opinion on that at all? Do you think that because I'm of the mind that he's opted in? That's $47 million. Of course, he's opting in. Be crazy not to. Okay, so then. That's where I am, too. I just wanted to make sure because now, traditionally, what have you thought about the Lakers and their idea of the more stars, the better, right? Because like conceptually, the three star build, we've talked about some of the hazards of that, but I listen to very smart people. And if you have the right three stars, people are just like, hey, you know, like that's going to get you somewhere deep into the playoffs, like. I listened to Zach Lowe talk about the Nets for a long time. And he's like, look, 
Kyrie, KD, Harden, like, oh, a lot of overlap, a lot of this, a lot of that. And Zach Lowe's just like, nah, man, these dudes, they're so damn good. They're going to get you somewhere. So are you in support of three-star builds to begin with, knowing that the other resources are going to be so limited? I am. I am. I strongly am. But you have to do it right. This is an example of what I was talking about in the last segment about there's a way to, to execute your idea correctly and there's a way not to. And for I think their biggest weakness, and Brooklyn illustrates this as well, is that when you're that heavy, that one of the when one of those guys go down, you drop a couple of tiers by virtue of the fact of you're so top heavy. All of a sudden, you're a two-star team with a bunch of vet minimum guys and maybe an MLE guy here or there. But by and large, the five guys on the court, only two of them, even in the best of circumstances, are on par with the guys that are not playing for the three-star team across from you. And we saw this with Anthony Davis's injury and LeBron's injury and the fact that LeBron, AD, and Russ only played three straight games once, the first three games of the season, right? And so were we a three-star team for most of last season? No, we were not. Like for a very, very minimal part of the season, maybe 20 games, we were a quote-unquote three-star team and never, those 20 games were not consecutive. And so you are left vulnerable to that. And in this this era where these last couple of years, especially, and maybe it's the bubble tax that Mike talks about, and this won't be as prominent in that we're going into this next season coming up. It's the first regular off season that we've had in a long time. We're on back on the NBA schedule. It took a couple of years with the pandemic and the stoppage and whatnot to kind of correct the calendar, but we're back there. And, and so maybe we have less of that, but I'm seeing the ability to be healthy and to get through healthy. And uh, Joe, Joe Lacob talked about this as well. Like, Signing younger players to help get you through the season when you've got a Steph, Draymond, and Clay, how essential that is in your supporting cast. And so I think that you need to surround those guys with as much of that as as you can. But that said, man, like in in the playoffs, especially if those three stars complement each other, I that's the thing. That's kind of my pivot point. I want to kick it to you on this. Is the third star, the guy who's clearly the best, the third best player, and whomever in any hypothetical trade we would make this offseason, they would still clearly be the third best player behind LeBron and AD. I think the fit of that player is essential in ways where that whole like, yeah, there's a lot of overlap, throw them next to each other, they'll be fine. I think that's true to a certain extent, but I think that that third guy in particular is the one that has to sacrifice the most. And in in doing so, how much their normal game fits in just naturally with the other two, I think is super important because they're going to be sacrificing touches even if they do fit in. So that's kind of where I'm at is I'm very pro thir- three-star build, but I think that that third star really needs to fit, like fit w- the missing parts of what your other two guys don't have. So this is interesting. Because normally, when you look at three-star builds, the guy who sacrifices is the big player. Oh, that's a good point. It's Mm -hmm. like he's the hardest one to get the ball to. He's the one who oftentimes has to space out because the other two stars are typically perimeter-based guys. And and so you're thinking of Chris Bosh right now, for example. Or Kevin Love or even to a certain extent, James Worthy. Right. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about like Worthy got plenty of touches, but Worthy would have averaged like 30 a game for another team. Right. Like there's inherent sacrifice in that. James Worthy went to North Carolina. He was the number one pick overall. 
it was out so of good. a blue blood college. Yeah. The college that produced Michael Jordan. And <laughs> it's just like national champion, like player of the year, dude. Anyways, sorry, big game, James. Excellent tweeter, especially when he's tweeting at Cedric Maxwell, too. Yes. So, <laughs> but normally it's the big guy who sacrifices. And AD, I think, is an interesting player in that throughout the history of his career, he has been a guy who has been put up as a high usage player and he's been a high usage player with the Lakers. And when they won the championship again, he was like a 30 usage player who got a ton of isolations and was a shot creator in his own right. But when you go back to his days at Kentucky, he was not that. He Mm -hmm. was a complimentary dude who played a lot of defense and his, his assisted baskets have always been relatively, uh, have always been a higher volume of his made field goals than what you would anticipate from a player who is as good as he is at creating sure. his own shot, right? And, and and so I'm not so, like, will the guy who comes in be a worse player than LeBron James and Anthony Davis? Almost certainly. Will that player necessarily need to sacrifice more than anthony davis offensively i'm not sure about that so like i just wanted to make that point well i feel like we saw some version of that with russ right like russ was theoretically supposed to be the the third star how did you see that dynamic playing out in the limited minutes that they all got together yeah i just wish that that's the thing is that whoever comes in the point I was going to make is that that player needs to be malleable yeah. in ways that like Russell Westbrook just hasn't proven to be over the last three or four years of his career. I'm not just judging him off of his time with Anthony Davis or with the Lakers last yeah, season. Malleable is not a word that we would normally associate. with. No, there, there's a rigidity to Russ's game yeah. that is been proven over the years. And however much you do or do not value Russ, I think that that's a point we can mostly agree on. What I'm looking for from any third player, if the Lakers were to go that route or the third, this hypothetical third star, I am looking for a flexibility in in their game that goes back to the idea of, of like, how skilled are you? Because the more skilled you are often means that you can do more on the court and be more adaptable. And adaptability, yeah. I think, is going to be key um, just as is like a commitment to like how much are you going to play defense? Um, yes. You don't need to be a defensive like stalwart or anything. Oh you, oh, you made an all defensive team. Like you don't need to be that dude. But when it comes right down to it, you need to compete on that end of the floor. Like, can you guard? And I sort of use Steph Curry as a baseline for that example, right? Steph will never make an all defense team. But he competes out there, and even when teams try to target him or take advantage of him, he is committed to battling on that end of the floor and not giving up things within the context of the team structure that I think is super important. So that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to any third star caliber player. The defensive point and and the skill point, I think the idea of shoot, pass, dribble and your capability within that, that is so translatable to so many different elements of the game and situations where you might be off of the ball and the ball gets swung to you. Can you knock down that open 
three or that semi-open three, or can you shot fake and attack the closeout and skip it across to the other the wing shooter on the other side? But that that shoot pass dribble that uh, that um, that skill set, I think, especially alongside LeBron and AD, and your point about AD being a big man who doesn't really start with the ball very often is well made. That I think that I don't know all of that. We've been kind of pining for a skill guard. And so that if we were to get a skill guard, I think that that would be something that within a three star build, I think would be the ideal circumstance, provided that they also, you know, are coachable, like on defense, they can do enough. The Steph Curry type of analogy where it's like you don't maybe not have the physical tools, but you'll compete. You'll do your job. We can rely on you. Yeah. And I think, look, LeBron James has won championships with multiple teams now with three teams and the Cavs team that he won with and the Heat team that he won with were similarly built, even if the stars weren't exactly the same. The team that he won with the Lakers only had one additional star. If you're looking at a three-star build and you're looking at LeBron James as being one of those stars, I think you need to then look at what worked in Miami and in Cleveland and sort of say like, hey, there's something to be said for these are the ingredients that make up the meal. And I think that in Russ, they probably got away from that a little bit too much. Like it was like a step too far. I think that they saw some probably some Wade, you know, because Wade was never a jump shooter, never an off ball player, but just a dynamic slasher that they were able to make it work. And LeBron's improved as a three point shooter. Like I can see how they they saw I can see the reason I can see the reasoning as well. I can see the reasoning as well. Um, Wade and LeBron were also like super tight as like people. Right. Right. And Wade was also more skilled. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, Wade's another guy who I just in terms of being a basketball fan, I hope Wade is never really lost to history the way that some players get lost to history. Right. I worry about that with him. Like some some of the things I hear about him, it's like, "Mm, you forgot how how good Dwayne Wade was. Yes. Yeah. Wade was definitely one of those dudes that it's just like, no, man, this dude won a championship before LeBron, right? And just got to the cup at will, really, whenever he wanted to. He was just a magnificent driver and athlete and had the type of in-between game that you really don't see as much. Mm-hmm. So anyways, in, in, in sort of bringing this back full circle, Pete, because I know that we should wrap up, like, I am interested to see what the what the Lakers front office values, and I'm interested to see how they try to navigate what is, as we've yeah. said multiple times, a super important offseason and, and whether or not their their eyes are still focused on and gazing towards the stars of the world or if they are looking to maybe change out the build if they feel so scarred from how Mm -hmm. this last season went to change up. But again, there's so much information we don't know. What are the conversations that are being had with LeBron and AD? What is the mindset that exists within the coaching staff? And where are those connection points and getting everyone on the same page? These are things that we'll just never know. 
and maybe we'll get a hint of it from what decisions are made. But it's like there's still so much that is going to be foreign to us and that we'll be locked out of, you know? Oh, for sure. And we'll be here to talk about it as it as it develops. So, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. Got a fun week ahead. Got the draft on on Thursday. Hopefully you listen to the, the draft preview. If not, um, give, give that a listen. But, yeah, we should be back with a full house tomorrow. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, one. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com